This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. If red states were serious about election reform, what would they be doing? Are they doing some of those things now? Or are they simply kowtowing to the dubious fear that the election of 2020, at least the one for president, was stolen? Cato's Walter Olson comments. A new uh, Economist YouGov poll indicates that uh, 83% of, I believe, Trump voters and 76% of conservatives believe that, quote, millions of illegal votes were cast in the 2020 general election. That has animated a lot of political activity, uh, especially in state legislatures, to change voting laws. What are they going after, broadly speaking? There's a lot of activity in state legislatures that is sold to much of the Republican and Trump constituency as being election integrity, which sometimes relates to that, sometimes relates to general Republican objectives. That There has been a lot of uh, skepticism about uh, the uh, uh, liberalization of voting methods that the pandemic brought in in particular, and there was bound to be some uh, tightening up of that, whether or not you had this uh, constant drumbeat of uh, stop the steal, stop the steal. But uh, Disentangling those motives can be difficult, and uh, we know that uh, there is a um, wider problem which we ignore at our peril, which is that uh, we have no guarantee that the results of the next election will be taken as legitimate, even if the system works properly, and even if by the the standards of most of the people in the in the middle who are expert about it, there there, there was no. Um, millions of votes stolen. There, there was no rigged election. Uh, things have reached the pass with public opinion uh, where uh, what happened in, between November and January uh, this last winter, which is the uh, uh, a large portion of one party viewing the results as illegitimate, viewing the wrong person as having been inaugurated, um, repeats itself again. Four years later. And we have no guarantee that that would not lead even further into constitutional crisis. It didn't last time. Uh, for various reasons, the U.S. Senate and the uh, state officials, and uh, to the extent it participated, the Supreme Court did not ever give in to these allegations. But we can't uh, be assured that everything will go the same way next time. All right. So for the moment, assume that it, it, was, it is true that 20 million illegal votes were cast in the election. I got to say, probably a lot of these reforms would make a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of uh, so-called election security, which for, first, I believe it should be debated on its own merits. And I think that part of the merits of election security is that you need to look forward to the ways in which people could abuse the system, even if they have not been doing so the last few cycles. Um, you don't want to leave an opening. And this is like bank security, or it's like shoplifting security. You know, you don't go on whether or not no one has stolen anything. Uh, since you opened the store or since you opened the bank, you go with best practices based on, uh, what is uh, uh, likely to be secure against clever and unscrupulous people who might try to exploit the rules in in the future. Um, so, for reasons like that, I do have quite a bit of sympathy with some of the 
specifics of what uh, states are doing. I mean, you can take one example, uh, ballot harvesting. Uh, ballot harvesting is the practice in which uh, rather than people voting one at a time in the voting booth or mailing in the absentee ballot that they have licked and sealed themselves, someone goes around collecting ballots. It might be only five or six from their family. It might be 25 from a labor union. It might be hundreds. Uh, depending on what the state allows, uh, you might have very substantial uh, enterprises of ballot harvesting. And that comes with dangers. It comes with dangers first, even at the smaller scale of people um, not being able to keep their vote private from their family, whatever family member says, I'm collecting ballots for the family, uh, or from their union boss, or who knows, you know, from their, their company uh, boss. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it has already uh, been found sometimes that the process is not pursued entirely honestly, that the envelope may not be sealed, that the uh, even if there is not falsification or discarding of votes that are cast for the wrong candidate, for example, it can be tempting for the ballot harvester to take a ballot that has only the top filled in, only the president or only the governor, uh, and ignores all of the lower races, and then fill out with X's what that person undoubtedly would have wanted uh, a straight party vote. Um, and the person may not even object. But that's not how the rules are supposed to work. Uh, you have impaired ballot privacy, and you have, yes, raised dangers of ballot integrity. So I'm not surprised, uh, nor do I think it's particularly objectionable, that states um, seek to closely regulate uh, ballot harvesting. And of course, that was one of the issues that came before the uh, Supreme Court recently. You know, when does something violate the Voting Rights Act? Well, it, it, I don't think that it is illegal on that grounds, but also I just don't think that we should dismiss the policy grounds that that, that uh, uh, legislatures have in mind on things like that. Now, in other cases, you've got security issues that are sometimes uh, proxy for other non-security issues. And people assume that this is a matter of suppression of the vote. Um, I find that ironic. Uh, for one thing, uh, turnout was huge this last election. It, it jumped markedly. So if someone has been trying to suppress the vote, they have done a singularly poor job of it. Minority voting uh, jumped in per percentage terms. Uh, so did non-majority voting. Uh, and uh, you know, so what, whatever the particular, uh, narrow debates about three weeks of early voting versus two or, uh, the, uh, whether lockboxes are to be supervised at all times or, or, uh, or not, uh, first, this doesn't seem to make that much difference in the number of people who succeed in voting because it's just not that difficult for most people to figure out a way to vote under our system. But secondly, and there was a good article by Chris Starwalt in Commentary uh, a few weeks ago about this, the old conventional wisdom that high turnout is good for Democrats and bad for Republicans uh, may be becoming obsolete. There are increasingly uh, you know, a bunch of data points suggesting that Republicans do well out of high turnout because they are nowadays uh, uh, commanding the less affluent, uh, you know, less college-educated oriented uh, voters who have somewhat more trouble getting to the polls and find, find themselves somewhat more encouraged when multiple easy ways are offered them of, of voting. So, uh, so 
for all these reasons, I think that a lot of our debates have been wildly beside the point. Uh, you would think to listening to President Biden and most of the large newspapers that I ever read that uh, this was the final confrontation on whether or not there is to be a right to vote. And, you know, it could hardly be more different from that. Uh, it's symbolic sorts of debates for the most part, uh, which are probably not going to affect who wins the various states. Assuming Republicans broadly were not largely bought in to largely unfounded theories about what happened in the 2020 election, assuming that uh, that were the case, what should they be pursuing? Uh, what should lawmakers generally be pursuing? I keep coming back to the fact that we nearly had a constitutional crisis. And if the particular people holding jobs such as vice president of the U.S. or the election officials that uh, were invited to uh, try to change the way state electors uh, were were selected after the fact, if, had they yielded to by the, the president himself, by the the president after being defeated, he sought to convince them to to abandon their duty and abandon their stations. Uh, he he tried to do that with state legislators. He tried to do that with state election officials. Uh, he tried to do that with the U.S. Congress, and of course, he tried to do it with his own vice president. And he struck out. He got some of the legislators, but never enough uh, to change a state. Uh, he got very few of the election officials, and uh, of course, he did not prevail that on, on uh, January 6th, at, at, with, either with his vice president or, or with Congress. But we need to look at that, because uh, what would have happened if the faction in a state legislature, or two or three of them, uh, uh, had been large enough to say, the, the way that things went on election day, uh, we've decided did not really represent the selection of electors, uh, we still have uh, discretion to do that. That was the argument from Trump's side. Uh, it is rejected by most of those more familiar with the Electoral College, and yet you never know what can happen if you have an institution that uh, you know is is digs in and says, "No, we're the legislature; we get to decide." Um, you know who will uh, accept those claims, and will we reach the sort of legitimacy crisis in which there is a fork in the road, and some of the public believes that uh, the president was. Um, uh, it defeated and others believed that he was reelected. Now, how do we stop that from happening? Uh, I put out, uh, when I wrote about this in, in the dispatch, a little list of some of the things that I would think might have appeal to people in both parties to raise the certainty level. Uh, you could, for example, start clarifying some of the ambiguities in what's known as the Electoral Count Act. That is a uh, late 19th century enactment which tries to lay out the rules for how state electoral votes are reported to uh, Congress and counted there. Uh, it's a pretty good bill. It was passed 10 years after the Hayes-Tilden uh, mess, and yet it is not as clear as it might be, it could be tweaked for greater certainty and clarity. So that would be one place to start. Another area of possible consensus is uh, what about paper uh, ballot trails? Now, we have those for most balloting. Uh, the, I think it was recognized some time ago that the all electronic or all mechanical no paper record route uh, did not have public confidence and had various problems. And so there's already been substantial movement away. Some of the most highly contested states did have, uh, exactly as you would wish, an entire paper trail of everything. Not that that stopped the controversy, but it did help, I think, 
with some of the people who were trying to look at it objectively. Uh, some measures in Congress would uh, extend this so that we can be sure that it will be uh, closer to a universal practice next time instead of just most places that have that paper trail uh, on, on paper. And likewise, again, uh, something that would have to go on at the state level for the most part is measures to buck up and encourage the uh, state election officials not to yield to requests that they find or lose votes uh, just because some very highly placed person calls them. Uh, we did well as a system uh, uh, during our, our testing, but maybe we could do more to make it clear what their duties are rather than allowing someone to come in by saying it's not really defined what you have to do. Um, and the legal terminology in these cases is sometimes, is it a discretionary function or is it a ministerial function? Only lawyers can love that language. But it captures something about something that the official has to do versus something that they might have leeway not to do. In the case of the Constitution and uh, the congressional role of counting up electoral votes, there, there wasn't any question, was there? I don't think there was any question. You can construct hypotheticals in which there was a closer call, in which, for example, from some state there had been uh, genuinely uh, two slates of electors coming to Washington, one of which might have had the backing of the, the governor or legislature, and you know the other of which uh, had clearly won the, the popular vote. You can construct situations in which uh, it, they might have been more tempted, or even in cases of potential fraud where um, uh, one wouldn't know necessarily with whom to sympathize, but you need clear rules. You need to be able to um, prevent a situation where it's just a matter of one side saying, we can rule whichever way we want, we're Congress, or I can pick whichever way I want, I'm the vice president and I get to pick the votes. Um, what Mike Pence said at that point, uh, is significant uh, about, uh, and he felt that he was basically guided by long-standing practice that no vice president, even vice presidents who had been personally defeated by the election or whose party had been defeated, no vice president had ever claimed the right to um, pick and choose votes. And so he said, what was good enough for all of them is also good enough for me. I like that, and yet it's possible to perhaps add a little more rigidity and a little more structural support. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.